And every time you destroy that voice, it becomes quieter. Mm-hmm. But there'll be moments where it get, gets really loud again. And so the victim mindset is probably one of the sickest things that can happen to a human because literally you're putting yourself in a cage. Like you're putting yourself in a prison of I can't do this or it's not my fault or someone else's fault or yeah. whatever. And so just really striving for the goals that I want to achieve. Welcome to the Performance Mindset Podcast. And I'm your host, Amy Calandrino, CEO of Beyond Commercial. After a decade of providing expert commercial real estate advice and consultation to the business owners and investors I serve, I wanted to share some of the most inspiring and influential leaders I've met along the way. The goal of this podcast is to share valuable insights from these impactful individuals, as well as business and commercial real estate trends. If you want to grow, you're tuning in to the right show. Hello there, it's Amy Calandrino. I'm back with the latest episode of the Performance Mindset Podcast. After working the last decade to represent some of the top business owners and investors, I've also gotten to meet some very impactful and influential leaders along the way. Today, I have with me Brendan Dedekind. Did I say that right? That's good. Oh yeah, I forgot to ask you before we started recording, but I have him here with me today. He has a really interesting background and I wanna make sure to get it all right. So you're a commercial real estate executive and currently senior vice president with Trammell Crow's Central Florida Business Unit and based in Orlando, responsible for growing the office development pipeline, sourcing and executing a variety of industrial developments throughout the region, including speculative and build to suit. Prior to Trammell Crow, Brandon was vice president, market officer for Prologis in Orlando, and he managed over $2 billion worth of real estate, and he had responsibility over the acquisition, development management, disposition, and overall brand and relationship management. And that's about the time I became familiar. He was a speaker for CCIM and a number of different groups and involved with NAOP, and he's a giver. So gotten to, to meet him there. In addition to his business background, he's an electrical engineer and a retired swimmer, having completed two consecutive seasons of the Summer Olympics and taking home the International Championship gold medal in the 50-meter freestyle at the 1999 Pan-Pacific Swimming Champions. So well, that's go. a lot, right? Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Very interesting. I think now I remember why all my hair fell out. <laughs> So, well, my, my husband always says, he says, the gray ones are like our kids and then the other ones that fall out are like clients and everybody has like a, a story for that. So I think your background is really interesting. But first of all, I had no idea you were previously an electrical engineer. So tell us a little bit about that and how has that um, contributed to your understanding and success in the commercial real estate field? Yeah, appreciate that. So I'm, I have a hyper curious mind yeah. about all things in life. And I grew up on a 4,000 acre farm without electricity or running water in South Africa. And so when I got a Casio watch or a calculator or something, and I saw like this thing can move around and what it can do, mm. I was just hyper curious about electronics. And so my whole life, I wanted to figure out how electronics worked. And so I became an electrical engineer to try and figure that out. Mm. Uh, and then when I graduated, I was like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. <laughs> became a sales engineer with Siemens Power Generation for a little bit. And then I was actually offered a position to be a development manager, construction manager, and broker for Lincoln Property Company in Orlando. Yeah. 
and jumped into that with both feet because I really enjoyed the fact that commercial real estate and all real estate is very tangible. Yes. You can touch it, feel it, see it. And I can buy a stock in a company but can't really change its value, whereas mm-hmm. I, could, I could buy a rental property and paint it and make it rent for more. And so for me, I really enjoyed the problem solving of maximizing mm-hmm. the value of real estate. And that's really how the problem solving of electrical engineering bridged over to real estate. It's interesting that you talk about the curiosity as I've, I've had this podcast now for over a year and I am noticing that to be like a common thread. And also some of the most successful people also are, are kind and, you know, so they're, they're giving back, but like that kindness and that curiosity, I find to be like a common thread and you're getting to learn about a lot of different things that you can bring to the next, next role. Yeah, I would say that in business, I think in today's society, some people look at capitalism in a negative light. Mm -hmm. I actually believe that when you're helping someone in business, Mm -hmm. you're literally solving a problem for them and you're solving a problem for them with less energy than they can, right? So money, money and time is just energy. Yeah. And so I'm using less energy to solve their problem than they can. And so I believe in competence, kindness, capability, and humility. I mean, I think when you put curiosity into that, Life is an adventure and a mystery. And so it's like, hey, let's try and figure this out and have some fun along the way. And let's help each other. I think life is hard enough when you've got people helping you. So yeah, I I just love to see when people have that that curiosity. And I, I love humility, kindness. What were the other traits? Competency, uh-huh. capability, and humility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that the the competency, like even when you were like a, you when you were a swimmer, like you were working working to be the best and having that high level of of competency, and you it seems you applied that to everything that you did, you've done. Yeah, what I've found there's a saying right: hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. But mm-hmm. there's a second half to it, which is hard work builds talent. Talent doesn't build hard work, right? So if you work mm-hmm. really hard over time you actually can build a talent <laughs> yeah. and then people will see you like, man, you're just so talented. And it's like, well, actually now I worked really hard for 20 years and to you it looks like talent, but it's just, I've worked really hard. Yeah. Uh, another part that definitely uh, comes through from the sporting side is people think if they show up to practice that they're going to perform well, I believe you have to do perfect practice to have a perfect race right now. Perfection mm-hmm. is the enemy. I actually be, believe in excellence but the concept of striving to do your practice run right, mm-hmm. then your race will be done right. I've got two young kids, 12-year-old son and nine-year-old daughter, and I tell them all the time, you are less in control of today than you are in control of tomorrow mm. because today I'm practicing for tomorrow, right? So mm. when something happens to you today, you think, oh, I'm reacting to this and I'm actually fully cognizant of what I'm doing. I actually think you are reacting more than you think. Mm. So you're practicing, you're rehearsing today for what comes tomorrow. So tomorrow you're in a situation and something happens in a deal yeah. and you react a certain way and people are like, man, Amy was really good at that. And you're like, yeah, I've already done that before. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And then you're not, it is interesting. And I, I do find that some when I first started in commercial real estate, I would look and I'm like, oh, they make it look so like easy. And I thought that they were just, re- but they just kept doing deal after deal after deal Correct. and building that that competency. Yeah, same as when you watch the Olympics or any really top-level athlete or, or sport, I would actually love them to put a average human being next to that person. And you'll see two things. The expert looks like they're doing it easier. Mm-hmm. 
and you'll see the difference between the two. And I mean, as a swimmer, when I'm racing, I guarantee you it hurts just as much as it does for the amateur, but I've learned to keep my form in proper step, mm-hmm. even when I'm hurting. And so when you're doing the proper form, it looks easy, but it's just because you've done it before. And so you, you're holding a disciplined line of attack to do what you're doing because you're focused on the performance. Did you have a role model when you got into the swimming that helped you to develop that kind of methodology or where, where do you find that, that that discipline came from? Is it Was it just something that's natural or did you have someone that instilled that kind of like work ethic to then be able to keep that form? In? So work ethic and discipline are the two traits you, you, mm-hmm. you picked up on. So I would say growing up on a 4,000 acre farm, yeah. you have to wake up at four in the morning and milk the cows with your dad. So waking up early and working hard as a farmer is what I learned there. And then I went to all boys schools because I grew up with three sisters. And so my <laughs> parents didn't want me to grow up with sissy britches. Yeah. <laughs> so they put me into school with all boys and uh, learned some discipline through through those that schooling experience. And uh, I'd say just a lot of different people in my life. I also tell people sometimes I can watch a five-year-old kid do something the right way to another person. Mm. And be like, oh, wow, that kid just did the right thing. So I think your role models aren't necessarily always people that are, let's call it higher up on the success chain than you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just another human being that you see them do the right thing the right way at the right time, because getting that triple play right is not easy. Mm. Now, could you share some of the insights into the process of sourcing and executing industrial developments in the central world? What are like some of the key factors that you consider when you look at potential products? Yeah, so it's all about dirt, right? So Mm -hmm. we're actually in the dirt business more than we are in the actual bricks and sticks business. And so having lots of different relationships with land brokers or people that know about land, very valuable. It's always easier to work with many people than to work alone. But also I'm a big believer, like I don't wait for people to come to me. Mm -hmm. I go get what I want to go get done. And so I spend a lot of time scouring the market. I'm always thinking about land sites. I could be driving to the beach and see something. So (laughs) yeah. Always keep your mind open, your eyes open, and try and lean on other people that bring you opportunities. And the land listing business seems to be very fragmented. Yeah. So there's a lot of people that have land listings. And anyone that emails me about a piece of land, I'll call them back. I'll email them back. I'll make sure that I'm listening to what they think might be an opportunity because they might bring me another opportunity beyond that. And when I look at a piece of land, I look at three different things when I'm underwriting the opportunity. I look at the piece of land. Mm-hmm. I look at the land seller and I look at the land broker Mm. because those three things are my short-term partners until I close on the land. And if the land broker or the land seller don't understand that, I I always say this, I'm I'm doing a triathlon. The first leg is the swim, right? Which is the land. Yeah. The second leg is the construction. The third leg is the leasing. Yeah. So I always tell the land seller, look, like, you're only with me for the first leg of my race. And I don't make money until I finish the, the run. Right. And so I, I don't make money camping on your land. Yeah. So me sitting around and, and you go, why are you squatting on my land? I'm like, no, I'm literally, I've got a three-legged race. I've got to go and I'm going to pay you after leg one. But hey, I might need three days extension to delay the close because I'm waiting on a bank loan or, yeah, and I need a land seller that, actually literally is championing my win because they win when I win. And the land sellers that understand that we're actually short-term partners and the land brokers that understand, hey, Brennan's actually 
I might only have a hundred thousand dollars deposit down hard. Yeah. But I literally can have millions of dollars tied up in that land. That if I drop that land and we break the partnership, that million dollars is gone. Yeah. And so I look at that three-legged stool of the land, the land seller and the land broker, and the understanding of my mission. And that when I win, they win. Those are the type of opportunities I want to team up with because I'm taking a ton of risk Yeah, in that first step of the game. Well, you're spending a lot of money in the development and putting it all together. And then you don't want the broker to get short-sighted and flip, try to flip it to someone else and not be committed to the, the whole process. I mean, there's so many things that could go wrong if they aren't fully, you don't, you're not all fully integrated aligned. with each other and aligned. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. For me, the, the funnest question I always get is, well, when does your money go hard? And I go, every single penny I spend on your land is hard money. <laughs> You're asking how much money goes in your client's pocket. Yeah. That's a different question, right? Because if I go spend a hundred thousand, two hundred, three hundred, five hundred, a million dollars on a land opportunity, yeah, that document that I have isn't worth it anywhere else. Uh-huh. And so if land sellers, and I have some land sellers now that I'm working with, because we're running through some uh, headwinds on the capital market side that literally they're cheering for me to win. Yeah. And then I have other land sellers are like, why haven't you closed on my land? And I'm like, because if you read the headlines, the capital markets are pretty tough right now. Right. And so having land sellers that are really your partners through to the end of your swim leg, yeah, those are the people I want to team up with because I'm, I'm investing a lot of energy, time and money. And sometimes I might need a little bit of help. And having that help is very valuable. Have you been able to kind of pull out of, do you have questions that you ask to figure out how committed someone is to, to your mission and whether you feel like you'll be successful with them or is it you've asked other people about the broker, about the seller or for me, different, different? Yeah, for me, it's normally I'll actually just have a conversation. I always mm-hmm. want to speak to the land seller and mm-hmm. the best thing a land broker could do is let me talk to the land seller. Yeah, I've found in my life the best brokers are the ones that don't get in the way of the deal, yes, but yes. are actually guides along the journey for their clients. Mm-hmm. And the more I can have interactions with the land seller face-to-face and, and or the land broker, you can get a sense of someone's, let's call it mindset, mm-hmm. uh, by talking to them long enough. And I want to talk to the people. I generally don't rely on what someone else says about someone yeah. because they could have one misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. I prefer to talk to the individual myself and then through time and interaction and even through shaping the the deal together, get a sense of their spirit and how they really are thinking about the opportunity. And so for me, I think it's a very, people say business is business. For me, business is personal. Mm-hmm. And I really have every desire to, to give these people money for their land. Uh, being a farm boy, I actually respect farmers and want to not hurt them in any way and pay them what I say I can pay them. But Things come up on a site, things yeah. get discovered. And it's like, hey, we found plutonium on the site. I have to get rid of that. It's a yeah. million dollars. Like, I need your help. And yeah. like, well, it's it's your plutonium if you buy it. I'm like, well, then maybe the project doesn't work. And so it's a very tricky game. The land business is a tricky game, but for some reason, the taller the mountain, the more I like it. I love what you're talking about, though. I am a fan of face-to-face meetings, and I really consider myself more like a Sherpa. I'm helping someone up the mountain. Correct. And I, I, I don't, I, I want to help them yes. get to the peak, get to the goal. Yeah. And I just, I love 
I love having those face-to-face meetings and it's great to see the connections that happen. And there's so much more that happens beyond having like the LOI and seeing these relationships happen. And I took a meeting the other day and then it ended up developing into, you know, the guy wants 200,000 square feet of like warehouse and Mm -hmm. he wants me to maybe sell his 80, but I wouldn't have happened. And it paved the way for, by me relinquishing control Mm -hmm. and allowing these people to connect. Then it Mm -hmm. actually creates more opportunities for me because I'm just helping to like facilitate and I'm not, you know, trying to have this wall and I'm building a bridge instead between the people. Yeah, and I really like your Sherpa analogy because sometimes you're carrying something. Sometimes you're protecting your clients. They don't walk there. Yeah. Sometimes you bring in them order. Sometimes you're actually leaving to go get something and they're walking by themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think the best brokers I've worked with are the ones that it's almost like they aren't necessarily there, mm-hmm. right? They're like part of the transaction, but they aren't in the way of the transaction. Yeah. And then other times I've had brokers that just they trying to exert their authority on the situation. Mm-hmm. I'm like, guys, like we're all trying to win here together. And so brokers can play a very pivotal role because hopefully their client trusts their counsel. Mm-hmm. And so if that broker thinks that I'm trying to hurt the landlord, then the landlord's going to think I'm trying to hurt oh, them. Yeah. And then the transaction can go away. And that goes back to you talked about humility. And I think then, you know, I think people letting their egos get in the way of a transaction, mm-hmm. is, it's not a win-win. Yeah, we all have egos, right? And we all can let our egos get in the way sometimes, or we can sometimes react in a situation where when you walk away, you're like, well, maybe I could have reacted differently. And so there's a saying that one of my ministers used to say, which is give people the benefit of the doubt until you absolutely cannot. And that's not always that easy to do. But what I've also found is generally speaking, in the absence of information, most people put in the most negative possible outcomes. Yeah. So they're like, well, then, hey, let's yeah. over communicate. I tend to be an over communicator, which sometimes actually can be negative because then people can use what you say against you. Mm-hmm. But I'd rather live a very tra- straightforward, transparent yes. life. And, and I get hurt for that sometimes, but it's, it's the way I want to live my life. Yeah. With your experience managing the multi billion dollar real estate asset portfolio, what were some of the key challenges you? faced when you were maintaining and and building and optimizing those assets? Yeah, good question. So that's when I was at Prologis. We yep. had a team, we went from a team of six to a team of 16. Wow. And seven years went from, I think it was 3 million to 14 million square feet. And so the managing the pace of growth and managing the pace of business mm-hmm. was challenging at times. And the way I try to communicate that to the team was, hey, look, guys, we're running in a running club here and we're running eight minute miles. And the company is going to expect us to start running seven and a half minute miles. And I always try and stay ahead of what's next. Mm-hmm. And so I try to help my team run at the pace we needed to run uh, at the speed Prologis expected us to run. And so sometimes I would say the team would get tired. And so to try and find ways to give them a water break, but then get back on the road. And because some people approach it with the mindset of, well, hey, I want to be in a book club. I'm like, well, this is not a book club. Um, <laughs> And so, you know, maybe you need to go join a book club, but this is a running club and Prologis expects us to perform at a high level and to perform at a high level, you have to run seven and a half minute miles. And so just to keep the team motivated was sometimes challenging because Mm -hmm. everyone has their bad days or tough days and and making sure that everybody remained positive. And I, I feel like our team did a really good job, but I could tell sometimes that some team members were, that, that the pace of business was, was tiring to some. Well, I found too, if you have momentum, you have to go with the momentum. 
I mean, because otherwise you allow to get that ball rolling again, I find in business, it's just, it's so hard and you, you, you can't, you, you can't slow down if you have that momentum going and you're, you're seeing positive results coming from it and you have a good, good plan and a good vision. Yeah. 100% for me, Amy, I've done a little bit of bike riding, like cycling, mm-hmm. and you can be at the front, the middle or the back, mm-hmm. right? In a Peloton. So when you're riding with a group of people mm-hmm. and when you're at the front, you're taking some headwind. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's harder when you're in the middle, you can get knocked over by people next to you and fall over and break, <laughs> break an arm. And if you're at the back, you're more likely to get dropped off the back. Yeah. And so the philosophy I strive to live by is I'm going to be as close to the front of the pack as possible because literally I can choose to slow down and be in the middle and I can choose to slow down to be at the back, but I can never choose to just go to the front. Oh, yeah. And so I try and ride and run and, and live as hard as I can. And I have moments where my energy levels go down and when they go up and down, mm-hmm. but I, I strive to get up every day and give it hundred percent so that I can know that I'm as close to the front of the pack as I possibly can be. That's a good, good saying. Cause I mean, you, you really can't like once you're at the back, it's so hard to get yes. back to, to the front. And so. Yeah. And in, in cycling, there's times where what happens is the front person surges and then it's like an elastic band and it stretches and then mm-hmm. everyone accelerates to catch up. And if you're on the back, you're already tired. Mm-hmm. and you're going to get dropped off and then you're riding by yourself and it's it speaks to your concept of momentum yeah momentum is a real thing um, yeah yeah i was just talking to one of my team members about that because mm-hmm. we have just such momentum going right now yeah. and yeah. don't want to lose it yeah. but that the caught that it requires that i make some accommodations to make it all happen and yeah. so far as my team as well and trying yeah. to keep them motivated yeah. so so we talked about being a retired swimmer and competing in the Summer Olympics. How do you apply the principles of dedication, perseverance, and resiliency to your, your professional career? Yeah. So if you know anything about swimming, it's not the easiest of sports. Mm-hmm. You've got to wake up every morning. So six days a week, you're waking up somewhere between 5 and 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. You're swimming up to 10,000 yards. Then you're going to school all day, studying electrical engineering. Yeah. Then you're going back to swimming for two hours in the afternoon. So I was swimming up to 20,000 yards a day, plus dry land, plus weights, plus school, plus traveling six weeks of the semester, either for South Africa or for FSU. And so th- there's a saying that's very true. If you want to get something done, but give it to a busy person. <laughs> yeah, It's the weirdest thing because you'd always think it's the opposite way. So that's one trait. Uh, another trait is really just to take your... I call I call it your victim mindset. Yes, and and literally you have to like destroy that voice. And every time you destroy that voice, it becomes quieter. Mm-hmm. But there'll be moments where it get, gets really loud again. Yeah. And so the victim mindset is probably one of the sickest things that can happen to a human, because literally you're putting yourself in a cage. Yeah. Like you're putting yourself in a prison of I can't do this or it's not my fault or someone else's fault or yeah. whatever. And so just really striving for the goals that I want to achieve. And whenever I hit a period of challenge, like that's when you push through. Everyone does things when it's easy. Mm-hmm. The people that really excel in life are the people that do what they don't want to do Yes, when they don't want to do it. I mean, when mm-hmm. they do what they have to do, when they literally don't want to <laughs> yes. do it, right? Yeah. And so you get up in the morning and you're like, I'm really tired. It's raining outside. It's cold. I really don't want to go to swimming today. And you literally just get out of bed. Yeah. And and just getting out of bed, the first step is the most important step. 
it's, it is really hard. And yes. like, you know, I have young children and well, one of the reasons I launched the podcast, I didn't have a chance to tell you before we started mm-hmm. was I reached a point in 2021 where I let myself totally be succumbed to by the victim mindset. And I was ready to close my brokerage. Yep. This is an amazing thing that I do here. Yep. And I think a lot of people would have been really sad if I did that, but I was just let myself get into that headspace. Yep. And so then I basically got around some really good people and just worked on rebuilding my mindset. And yep. I thought there's no better way to continue to build my mindset than to have a podcast about mindset. And it, I find that the more and more you plug into other people with a positive mindset, mm-hmm. the more I kind of repel anyone that has that. And I just mm-hmm. feel like I get stronger and stronger and stronger every day. Yeah. That's um, awesome. Man. Yeah. The so, crazy thing is the the victim mindset does come back from time oh, it to does. time. Yeah. And so you have to make sure that you keep yourself disciplined. Mm -hmm. And then also one of the things that I believe in big is humans are not supposed to be isolated. Yes. And so if you are alone or lonely or feel alone or lonely, you're not in a good place. And so make sure you find people that speak into your life with positivity that really not only it's good, really good to have cheerleaders in your mm-hmm. life, but it's even better to have partners that run on the field with you. And they pull you. And pull you or yes. carry rocks with you or help you. And so that those are some of the, the things that I'm I'm always paying attention to. So out of that, I came up with, I call it the sport success system, S-P-O-R-T. Okay. And the S is synergy. Okay. And it ca- talks about your tribe because at that time when I was floundering, I didn't tell anybody. Yep. I kept it the secret. I didn't want anybody to know that I was struggling. Yep. And now I'm much more transparent. And yep. you know, I have these issues. But even last week, I had a day where I just felt like I was so busy and it was insurmountable. And I got to cancel. I can't train this afternoon with yep. my coach. Yep. I can't do this. I can't do that. And I'm like, no, no, you can. Yep. Just you just have to do it and push yep. through and do it. So having that accountability and having that tribe that's going to push you and like, mm-hmm. hey, Amy, I'm excited to see you today and mm-hmm. just start doing aqua jogging. So there you go. I'm not a swimmer, but I, I could be my thing. day. But yeah, it's that, that's it, going to be in the next Olympics. So you think so? Yeah, it was, it was fun. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to do this, but I did, and I felt so good. Like afterwards, I was so refreshed. So it was great. Awesome. Do you have any memorable experiences from your career? Yeah. So you know, you go to the Olympics and you you swim at a really high level, and people generally think your memories are going to be around an event or something. Mm -hmm. And while the events for me, actually my swimming career looking backwards is more special than when I was in it. Yeah. Because when you're in it, you're surrounded by Olympians, right? So everyone around is an Olympian. So number one, looking back is more special than when you're in it. Mm. And then the other part for me is I'm very much a destination person. Yeah. My wife's a journey person, but it's actually not about the destination. It's about the journey. Mm -hmm. And it's about the friendships and relationships that you form along the way and the yeah. journey. Like I'm taking my wife and kids to England this summer. Mm. We're going to go stay with my roommate who's British. Yeah. Uh, my roommate in college. And we roomed together for all four years, literally shared a bedroom. <laughs> and so, you know, he's he's maybe my first wife. I'm just teasing. <laughs> and so just really know him really well. Really good yeah. friend. I've got friends all over the world through the sport of swimming. I got an engineering degree for free through the sport of swimming. I came to live in America through the sport of swimming. My wife swam for the US. I met her through the swimming sport. Wow. And so for me, swimming is all the things that are of priceless value Mm -hmm. have nothing to do with the performance. Okay. Although the performance that I do is impactfully important to me, but it's actually not about the performance. Because I think if if you do everything for the win, then if you don't win, my question would be, was it a failure? 
And I would say no, because you gave it your all, you ran on the field. And normally, if you fail, you're going to learn something and grow and stand back up. Yeah. Said differently, what I say is the only difference between a winner and a loser is the winner just got back up one more time, Mm. whereas the loser stayed on the ground. Well, I think some people also, they feel defeated before they even like try, or they maybe don't right. feel like there's something in it for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to someone last week and they said, everybody says, I can't get this building. Everybody says, I can't get this property. And you probably have some times where people are like, there's no way you can get that land. Mm-hmm. But then if you really need it, and then you think that the seller, you can eventually get to them and talk to them, you think mm-hmm. it could be possible. But some people that you need to get buy-in aren't financially motivated, then mm-hmm. it's it's challenging. And so, but having that like open mindset where it doesn't always have to be this, this big thing, you actually end up getting much better ripples from the overall experience. Does that make sense? Correct. The way, the way Nelson Mandela said that is he never loses. He either, he either wins or he learns. Yeah. Right? You win or learn. Yeah. So it's kind of that, that concept. And I don't know, there's another saying I like, uh, winners never quit and quitters never win. Right. So you might not quit, but you might change your strategy. Or you might be like, hey, I'm really trying to solve for this development and I really need this piece of land. And then you'd really try and solve it and this doesn't work out. But then you figure out, oh, I can solve it this way. Yeah. So you might have to pivot and your plan might have to change. Right. But you didn't quit on the plan. And that's one of the most challenging things in my job is when to know to like there's a, a, a song, right? You got to know when to fold them. In development, it can be really tricky to know, hey, this deal's not going to work. We're going to fold out of this deal because it literally goes against every grain in my body. Like it feels like quitting. But in business, sometimes losing is winning. Right, because you can't, if you keep investing or it's not going to work, then you have to balance that. Yeah, cut your losses. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. I had an interesting question for you. And so how does the competitive nature of swimming compare to competitive real estate market? Yeah, very interesting. In many ways, similar, like I said, when swimming is an individual and a team sport, real estate is the same. Like I call it competition. But one deal, the broker is my helper. In the next deal, they're on the tenant side. Yeah. So you have all these people that are around you in the business and and we're always cooperating with each other and co Mm -hmm. co competition. So that's one example. Swimming can be the same. I can be on a relay with someone and then the very next race, him and I racing each other in the 50 freestyle. The one part that's very different uh, in business to, to swimming is the definition of winning in swimming is very clear. Yeah the definition of winning in business is not always clear. Yeah. And I had to learn in business because in swimming, the definition of me winning is you losing. If we're racing, yeah, literally the definition is my win has to require your loss. And in business for me, I strive with true intent to find the win-win. Yes. I want you to win and I want me to win and I want us to win together. That is my definition of winning. Because if you are losing and I'm winning, in the end, you're going to do something to hurt me because you also need to win. Yeah. And so that's... Or you might not do a deal with that person again. Well, something will happen. I mean, I've just seen enough in real estate to know that we could sign a 300-page lease. Mm -hmm. If your intent is to hurt me in that lease, you'll find a way to hurt me in the lease. Mm -hmm. So it's really much more about, hey, are we partners in this? Are we trying to help each other actually win? And so that would be one difference because in business, 
it's not always that clear whether you're winning or losing because you can be doing the right thing and trying to get to the right finish line and then something happens. You're like, well, I guess this isn't supposed to move forward. Whereas in sport, you can just push through that and be like, well, I'm going to like will this to happen by myself because my win is your loss. Yeah. Whereas business isn't always that black and white. Yeah. And it takes a lot of experience. We were talking a little bit about experience, you know, and building up that capability and capacity, mm-hmm. you know, during this and before we started recording. So yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot of maturity in business that we have to grow over time. And uh, yeah, it's, it's probably one of my struggles in the business to figure out like, because I literally strive to treat everyone right all yeah. the time. And I can tell sometimes people walk away and they're upset and I'm like, I don't know why you're upset. Like I literally try to give you everything you wanted. Right. Like, well, I want more. I'm like, well, but then there's nothing left for me. Like, how does that work? Right. And so business can get gray for me sometimes, whereas swimming was, it's the clock. Yeah. My time's 19 seconds. Yours is 20 seconds. I'll beat you. Yeah. That is interesting though. Yeah. Because I think some of the best situations, the best partnerships that you can create over time. And especially I call it small Lando. I think Orlando is such a small community and it starts to overlap so much over time. If you can create those win-wins, then we were talking about momentum too. You're probably able to catch a lot of momentum during your different careers by having those partnerships versus, you know, someone who doesn't have that same mindset and same way of doing business is it's probably not going to be a long-term situation for you yeah i mean for me there's never a right time to do the wrong thing yeah and so i just strive to do the right thing as best i can in every situation and i've mentioned this before but the goal is to do the right thing at the right time in the right way Mm -hmm. and to get the triple play is not that easy i can do the right thing the right way but at the wrong time i can do the right thing the right way like it's it's that's actually my goal is to like land the plane very well each time (laughs) yeah And I would say that I'm two out of three most of the time, but three out of three, I make mistakes and then people misinterpret it. I'm like, I'm sorry, I I didn't get the triple play. I just got a double play. You're just trying your best and getting, you're trying to be a little better each day. Yeah. My goal is to be excellent at what I do. Yeah. So are there any key lessons that you'd like to pass on to those, maybe especially those that are like starting out in our industry or in business as a whole? Yeah, I'd say for me, uh, our business can be tricky because if you aren't careful, the business can actually change you. So number one, there's a saying that I heard, and for me, it was beautiful. You have a soul, be careful with it. So don't sell your soul to business or money or anything, right? So you have a soul, be careful with it. And then number two, everybody's greedy. The -hmm. question is, are you near-term greedy, long-term greedy, or eternal greedy? Mm. So I live my life to be eternally greedy right? So are you trying to win for the long term or the short term? Okay. I'm trying to win in eternity. I believe there's life after life on earth. And so I'm pointing my compass towards eternity. That's profound. Yeah. Because everyone's greedy. Yeah. So are you greedy to try and just win today, which is transactional? Yeah. Are you trying to win long term, which is relational? Yeah. Or are you trying to win into eternity? And so I'm trying to win in eternity. Wow. I've always thought about it just the first two ways, but not the the eternal. But that that's so so interesting. Yeah. How long have you had that as as, as something you thought about, or something that you just over time have developed that kind of mindset? Because that's even just even beyond relationship based. Yeah. So I was born and raised on a farm, yeah. and the spiritual world is very much alive in Africa. Yeah. 
And so for me, the spiritual world was always very evident and I've Mm -hmm. had lots of personal experiences in the spiritual realm. Yeah. And so just to recognize that we are spiritual beings. And then if we are spiritual beings, well, is there life after death? If there's life after death, then what's my purpose on earth? Yeah. Um, And so that's kind of how I triangulated on it. And my wife will tell you that people like me are not normally Christians because I'm hyper-rational and hyper-objective, truth-seeking kind of person. Yeah. And I'm 47 years old, and to this day, the spiritual world and the life after this is real. It's interesting. Yeah, I'm a very analytical person, but Mm -hmm. creative. Mm -hmm. So I'm an organized creative, which is a a, a really cool combination. But the last three deals I've closed, I've had the clients tell me that God brought me into their life. And it was just so profound. And I never thought, and part of it was in this podcast, I brought on one of my clients, Tessa Boyd, and she's a writer. She, we've helped her buy an investment property and everything. And she puts out there that she's a believer and she believes in life after, and after that became more open. And Mm -hmm. I actually put on my LinkedIn that I am a believer. Mm -hmm. So I, I think not that you're forcing it down anyone, but that's your, your truth and your your journey. And, well, it's actually uh, more than that, Amy. Yeah. It's not just my truth. So yep. far, it's a truth that I believe to be the truth, Yeah, which is objective truth, right? Yeah. And so if it was my truth, that means it's just in my mind. Yeah. I literally believe that it is objectively truthful because I've lived my life testing the hypothesis that it's crazy. Mm. And I feel that the more you connect though, even, so I try to connect with those that have a performance mindset, Mm -hmm. but I also try to surround myself with people that are believers as well. And I Mm -hmm. feel like that even more amplifies and pulls me forward. Yeah. I will tell you something that uh, this one guy said it to me once we're sitting at an event or something, we're talking and he said, it really bothers him that when people get to the Olympics, they find Jesus. And I said, well, I'll tell you in my life, I wouldn't have made it to the Olympics without Jesus mm. because the event is so big. The venue is so big that you have to have psychological, mental, spiritual, emotional, and physical stability. And he's the rock I hold on to. Yeah. So I wouldn't have been able to make it there if I wasn't holding on to him. So I told this person, I said, look, maybe it's the people that get there, only get there with Jesus. And when they get there, they tell you that's how they got there but maybe that's how they got there. He thought they only found him when they get there. Mm. And I was like, maybe they only got there because of that. To do extraordinary things, yes. you have to be- have extraordinary dreams, right? Yeah. So like, I'm taking my wife and kids to Wimbledon this summer, mm-hmm. and I bought Senecord tickets. Okay? Wow. I did that so that my children get to watch Wimbledon and Senecord so that they might say, I want to play there. Yeah. And they're like, okay, well, let's go chase that dream. Right. Now, when you chase a dream, if all you do is chase the dream, I believe the dream can be too big and it can squash you. Whereas my purpose in swimming was not only to win, but it was to glorify God with the skill and the talent he gave me. I didn't mm. give myself that talent. Right. My teammate trains just as hard as I do. Yeah. Why do I go to the Olympics and he doesn't? Is there yeah. something like special I did? No, I just trained hard. So did he. Well, I think sometimes for me, I find that there's some greater reason for me to be here because the odds were against me for me to be here, which my closest friends all know about. But I realize that each day that there there is some reason and that 
with that's really deepened my relationship with God and then has pushed me along this journey. And I know that I would not have been there mm-hmm. if not for him. And one was thing was interesting. And my mentor always says, I don't give him enough praise. So mm-hmm. I had a commercial real estate mentor in 2016. And he said, where are you at in your life? And my yes. life was so out of balance because yep. I was working like a hundred hours a week because yep. I'm trying to build this business and yep. make it this big thing. Yep. And he wanted me to look at my spiritual, my health, yep. everything and set goals for all of them. And one of them was like, I'm going to go back to church. Yep. And I didn't take action right away. And yep. then Leadership Winter Park said to me, well, can you do our prayer for the graduation? I'm like, oh, be reminded. Okay. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. And then one morning I woke up a little earlier on a Sunday and then all of a sudden I felt this like push mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, maybe I'll go to church. And then I look up on my phone, where's the mm-hmm. closest one? And I go there. I ended up meeting my only other advisor here at my firm. We ran into each other a few months later at the church, literally everything fell down. And so I think I didn't have as deep of a relationship, but it was so interesting. The business then brought Mm -hmm. me back to that. And then I'm finding that even with my clients or talking to you, that it's, it's just amplified my life and made it so much richer and so much fuller of meaning and then keeps pulling me forward. Yeah. That's awesome, Amy. And the tricky part, right, is there's religion also. Yeah. I'm not talking about religion. Yes. Right. I'm talking about a true relationship with the creator of the universe. Yeah. And that's where spiritual things can get tricky because some people get triggered by religious phrases yes. and words, and I actually respect and understand those. Yeah. So I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about relationship. And it's it's a true mystery because I literally can't understand it half the time. And I'm like, is this really real? Like, yeah. it's kind of a little bit crazy, right? Yeah. But to me, so far, I'm 47 years old. It's as true as I'm married to Ashley. God is real. He exists. Therefore, why do I exist and what should I do with my life? Well, yeah, they say that the Latin word for spiritual comes from spiritus or spirit, some Latin word that means to breathe. And it's life. Like spiritual is very full of life. And so, yeah, I try to live a more spiritual existence. And I respect anyone, however, they carry on that relationship. For me, I do like having like a structured, you know, environment, but they do talk about religion comes from a word in Latin that talks about to tie or to bind. And it's much more like a control. And so I do see the the line of demarcation. And so I think those that know me know that, you know, I may go here, but I'm open to, you know, however anyone chooses to practice or not practice, but it comes down to the kindness and the curiosity that I talk about. And I think that if you're spiritual, then I think often, Often the people that are spiritual have that kindness and that love and and all those types of things. Yeah, and like maybe we wrap it up the way we started yeah. it, right? If you are hyper curious or curious about life, yeah. I literally believe you will find God. Yeah, because the Bible says, "If you seek, you will find." Yeah, right? and so, but do, do you really want to find? And I think some people say they do, but in my life, at least, when I have look for God, he shows himself and reveals himself very clearly to me. And so I believe in God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, as called out in the Bible, because literally it hasn't been proven wrong to me yet. Mm. We'll wrap it up there. There we go. Nice to meet you. Yes, it was great to meet you. And how do people find you? What's the best way to connect with you? LinkedIn's probably the easiest. Just look me up on there. And I'm happy to connect with you anytime if you think I can be helpful to you. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks to everyone for tuning in today. Be sure to like and download and share this podcast. Also post a review if you feel so inclined. 
And I'm looking forward to joining you again soon. Have a great day. Bye.